0: Welcome back to season five of the Lighting Your Way podcast. My name is Betty Long, and I am your host during these conversations. I do hope that you enjoy them, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Violence against nurses is at an all-time high. One in four nurses are assaulted, either verbally or physically, but only 20 to 60% of those incidents are reported. This episode's guest is Jeannie Vanella, Chief Nurse Executive and Strategic Advisor for Come your Strongline, a health technology company. Jeannie shares information and ideas on reducing the incidence of workplace violence in the healthcare system. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Good afternoon, Jeannie Vanella. Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Well, thank you for having me so much.
1: I am looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Yes, me too. And it's long awaited uh, nurse violence or violence against nurses or workplace violence. A lot to talk about, a lot to unwrap, as they say. But um, you have uh, been a nurse a long time. And so I want to (laughs) start first by talking about your career before we start talking about your you know, the, the issue of workplace violence, but tell us about your career. How'd you get started? Uh, You were a peas nurse, right?
1: I was, I, I I was introducing myself on another um, venue the other day, and I was minimizing my years as a career in my career. My daughter's like, you're, you're skimping on some years there, mom. (laughs) Um, But I I am uh, over 40 years of um, nursing experience. I I guess you'd say kind of a quintessential lifelong learner, Good. I was a diploma grad good. and a new grad into emergency nursing. Wow. Um, and then one of the very first um RN to BSNs at Villanova University oh, um in the early eighties and then went right into CHOPS ED uh at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and I had a career there for over twenty five years wow. with various leadership roles. Wow. And then and then an opportunity came kind of um from out of the blue, but uh, a good friend of mine, another nurse nurse practitioner, started a uh, kind of a, a very boutique kind of uh, consulting company that only really f- uh, focused on emergency nursing, <laughs> process improvement, and leadership development, and so. While they thought in the beginning that my ped skills, you know, may not be transferable to the adult world. They quickly found out that, you know, emergency nursing is emergency nursing and process improvement um, is process improvement. And I had a great foundation from CHOP learning, you know, from some really amazing uh, pediatricians and leaders uh, there on quality improvement and how you really do process improvement in the early days. And then I stayed there for about 10 years, um, got to improve emergency departments all around the country, which was really exciting. And then in 2012, I completed my doctoral um, in nursing practice and decided to kind of be home based again and pivoted into technology. Mm. Um, The reason being that I saw so many bad implementations and (laughs) lack of adoption that I thought if I go to the source and make an impact in development, then hopefully the end product would be better for a larger group of people than, you know, say at one hospital base. Okay. So um, that that's what drove me into technology. Um, really the poor design, the poor implementations. And then that led, of course, to early lack of adoption and workaround, mm. um, you know, right out of the box. So I felt like I needed to get to get involved and, and make this better because certainly technology was just on the cusp back then right. and is, right. is even more so now.
0: Yeah. And what, what's, what's interesting as I listen to your career journey is that there's so many opportunities when you're a nurse to, to jump in to Absolutely. do different things. You took the, you know, you, you took the process, you took your practical experience, then you went into process improvement and quality And then I I appreciate your, your reason for getting into technology. Like you want to make sure that you start from the, from, from a good place first, which makes a lot of sense, right? Exactly.
1: Which is design really and development before, you know, any, any engineer can design something, you know, in a, in a, in isolation, but how it impacts the end user is, is really what's important. But what I was going to say about my career journey is I've done a lot of work with student nurses over my career, and I'm, I'm passionate about it. I, I still teach at Villanova University. And I say the only limit is your imagination <laughs> to, to where you can go in nursing. You know, you want to work at the Phillies ballpark. You want to work on a carnival cruise ship. You want to <laughs> work in technology. Um, nursing and, and my career has been described as like a chameleon. You just change colors for where, wherever <laughs> your expertise is, is needed.
0: So would you looking back now and we'll we'll get into your current role in a minute but but looking back would you have changed anything in your journey
1: I I don't think I would have
0: hmm. Okay so. I,
1: I I think leaving Chop was a very very difficult decision after 25 years hmm. but it formed I had a foundation where I needed to go and be an expert um outside of those four walls or, you know, that big, big organization. And it was a risk in a way, but it launched me to this kind of um, executive path in technology that um, I felt really well prepared for.
0: Right. So let's, so now you're the, you're the chief nurse executive and strategic advisor for Come your strong line, which is a health technology company. That's right, much like you said. So, uh, obviously, the journey has evolved. But how did you find yourself in that role, and and talk about your responsibilities?
1: Yeah, so I've been uh, CNO and uh, CNE executive for about four technology companies. Much, much like the healthcare environment, there's lots of mergers and acquisitions right. in this right. uh, industry, also. But um, I, I actually got Back with Strongline, um, two, the summer after COVID, um, mm-hmm. I was working with another colleague of mine at the convention center do, with the active military doing the vaccines oh. and really thought I was going to pivot into to a different direction. And a pediatrician that I worked with at CHOP back in the 80s, um, Howard Grant, reached out to me through LinkedIn, um, Emery Papa, who you know, yeah. and I wrote a Workplace, violence article back in 2013 that was published. Oh. And he said, is this the same Jeannie Vanilla that used to run circles around me in the choppy <laughs> D? And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> and so he retired. Um, he had a, a very long Illustrious executive committee uh, career, sorry, okay. and um, was looking for some nurse leaders to join their advisory team at Strongline, and so that's actually you know a personal invitation. That's that's how I got connected with Strongline.
0: Wow, that's cool. So, wh- so what? So yeah. what? What? What are your role? I'm sorry. What are your responsibilities in that role?
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting role, and that's why I really love it. I I consider myself an expert at end-to-end operations. So I'll start with a new client as a clinical sales um, support with the sales team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on, in a sales meeting, the the client often doesn't want to hear about the widget they're buying. They want right. to hear about the problem they're solving. Right. And I, I put context around that. Um, I go out to the deployments. I help with education. We use... Um, their own like net learning platforms and supply them with the tools they need to have an um, really amazing kind of launch and implementation. Then we check back on adoption and usage and continued customer support. Okay. So I, I really kind of see myself from the stretcher side to the boardroom, um, and everything in between once a client has engaged with us, um, and, and we're, um, ready for deployment.
0: So, so what your, um, training on is a, is a wearable staff duress button, right?
1: Right. Sometimes known as a panic button, right? (laughs) So, but it's, it's wearable. So it it kind of is discreet. It's about the size of a butter patty. It, it kind of sits behind your ID badge. Um, It doesn't need to be charged. It doesn't need to be um, assigned to every day to a specific staff member, it comes assigned to that staff member. Okay. And then they put it on behind their ID badge. And if they find themselves in a position of a patient or family member that's escalating or they feel unsafe, there's a silent duress alert that is um, activated when you press the button and it rings to the security uh, dashboard mm-hmm. and then security responds almost in a swifter manner because they know the person who's in duress and the exact location mm-hmm. so rather than like security coming to the front desk in the emergency department of a, of a hundred bed ed they go right to room 53 and are looking for the um, employee who pressed the button okay so they're they're cut down on um response times and the interesting thing thing about the tool is that I think the most interesting thing is is there's a proximate alerting feature, Betty. So if you're in if I'm in triage out in the lobby, Mm -hmm. um, and you're in the trauma room, kind of right behind me, but behind, you know, double doors, and I press my badge and you're the closest, you also get notified while that signal is going to security. And so you can come up to triage and say, hey Jeannie, is everything okay here? Mm. So it it acts as an early de-escalation tool or a safety where you can remove me if necessary. Um, then if you came upon me and I'm in trouble in triage you then activate your badge now you're telling security we've got two okay. two staff members in duress at that same location
0: okay we're going to talk more about workplace violence against nurses but mm-hmm. but as you travel the country, what are you hearing from nurse executives and nurses what like what are the reasons they're bringing in the strong line system?
1: Well, the the main reason is that, um, you know, a, a big McKinsey report came out about two years ago, and the number one reason why staff leave a position is feeling unsafe. 92% reported if they felt Jeez. unsafe, they're more likely to leave. And so when you t- talk in terms of cost ROI mm-hmm. on Strongline, And you talk about turnover. We know what the average cost of one nurse turnover is. You know, it's about one hundred thousand dollars to an organization. And if you think about the cost of contract labor, which, you know, we saw, you know, implode over COVID. um, It's really for the return on investment, keep their staff safe. Um, And as Press Ganey reports, when the workplace isn't safe. Everything suffers. And I, I like to say everything, you know, in terms of staff safety, staff engagement, staff morale. Um, you see worse outcomes. You see clinical efficiency start to suffer mm-hmm. if everyone is scared. And then you also see the patient experience suffer. So everything suffers when there's a high workplace violence incident at your organization and anything you can do to arm your staff. Mm-hmm. Um is really important. And I know we focused a lot on nurses and we will continue to, but we, we provide these badges for any forward patient facing okay. employee. Okay. So dietary aid, environmental service worker, uh, the finance person who comes in to collect the copay, mm-hmm. um, registration, um, certainly, um, two of our biggest clients now are providing them for um, resident physicians and student nurses as a recruiting mm. tool that, that mm. we care about your safety. Wow. If you were to come to work for us after your education. So um, we, we provide them to, to everybody. Well, at least the organization makes a decision to wow. apply to um, get them for everybody.
0: And, and do you see that, like, it's been after an incident that that hospitals will mm-hmm. kind of create, okay, we have to do training. We have to get a tool like strong line. Like, right. Is it usually a, a, an incident that has happened?
1: Right. Just like everything else in healthcare, you see it a little bit more reactive than proactive, right? Right. Um, But uh, the cost of a workplace violence incident to a hospital and fines and OSHA fines and employee disability and lost work time and sick time um, helps sometimes drive a decision. But, you know, the fact that nurses are four times more likely to be injured at work than a police officer is is kind of a scary statistic (laughs) it's really um you know i I always think about when i see our local police officers pulling over a car even in my little town where i live and you know they kind of have their hand on their gun and they're approaching the car for a traffic violation that gives me pause right like i i I take note of that, right? But I I don't think anybody thinks when a nurse puts a stethoscope on their neck right. and goes in for right. their shift that they right. have four right. times more likely right. to be heard at work right. than an officer. So right. um that that's what kind of drives me. um and, you know, wh- what else is happening in our world that's making nurse executives do this besides certainly cost, right, of the investment is the level of incivility yeah. um, in our country has escalated and it's transferred into the to the workspace for all of healthcare. care. And, you know, many incidences in the past year that you've seen on the news have been at medical buildings, right. you know, people the big shooting yep. um, last fall that the guy, the I'm sorry, the, the gentleman wasn't satisfied with the outcome of his orthopedic surgery, he yep. went to the office and shot the doctor, the registrar and yes. the receptionist. So um, it's not limited to the hospitals, but that's certainly where the um, the stress levels are, are probably the highest. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's and it's not, thank God, just, you know, a shooting or, or a physical assault. There's also a lot of verbal assault and, um, For sure is. language and, uh, you know, just the, I mean, I've talked to my colleagues at guardian nurses and, and to my colleagues, a lot of throughout the country and everyone at some point in their career has been, a, a, a victim of, of some sort of assault, whether it's verbal or physical. Um, right.
1: Right. I, I've been lecturing on this topic uh, a lot lately around the country. And, uh, I open the lecture with, a, if you have the courage to stand up and you've been verbally assaulted in the last month, please stand up.
0: Mm. And if
1: you have the courage to um, stand up, if you've been physically assaulted in the last month, wow. please stand up. And honestly, a- after those first two questions, nearly the whole room is standing, Jeez. you know, and these have been emergency nursing conferences. But the the sad part about the verbal assault is that it, it's like the iceberg, about 70% of verbal um, abuse and assault cases are not reported. Right. Um, and that's in a whole nother topic, Betty, because re- how we make reporting accessible to staff is very complicated, right? You, you have to leave what you're doing. You're already shaken. Now you have to open this system. That system doesn't talk to this system. Maybe right. you have to call the nurse supervisor. And so people normalize being yelled at yep. and then they don't report it. Right. And so no matter how bad you think your organization is, it's probably a lot worse because of the non-reporting or the difficult reporting.
0: So in in your travels, have you seen nurse executives and hospital leaders making it, you know, changing that culture or kind of supporting the nurses to make it easier?
1: Well, the Yes. Um, but the one thing that Strongline does do is it has a reporting system attached to it. So the nurse actually doesn't have to do uh, anything. So if you're in a room okay. and you're being verbally yelled at and you activate your badge, security comes um, and, and there's kind of a drop down in when security closes the incident. Was it handled by the staff? Did security have to intervene? Um, the level of granularity that's there. So that um, each unit on the floor can get a report of how many times their badges were activated, how many times security intervened, actually what the response time is. Um, so we can complement the reporting system, mm-hmm. not not supersede it. Certainly, if there's an incident, it has to still be reported. But we can um, also drive and help Leaders with data that they can make decisions about, um, you know, staffing, maybe behavioral health techs, uh, mm. increasing security patrols on the unit, and things like that.
0: You know, uh, one of my colleagues was telling me at, at a recent um, conversation we had about it there are now german shepherd dogs that are being they're not canine dogs they're german shepherd dogs that are escorting with the security guard just through the hospital not as a way of it's a deterrent mm-hmm. really just to show that uh, it's, it's just nope, a visual show just a visual yep. that you know hey we're taking this seriously we don't want you to kind of act out um and i think you know there's so many reasons why we're seeing more incivility and i mm-hmm. You know, just the, and, and obviously when you come into an ER and that's, do you think that's where most of the violence and and verbal assaults are happening in the emergency room? Well,
1: you would think that, right? But, um, just... It's not isolated to there. Mm-hmm. Now they certainly have the no- a number of incidences, but when um, Strongline is deployed in an entire organization, you see that there are events happening outside. A lot of times, neuropsych units, okay. certainly behavior health units. Right. Um, but what what we're seeing now is really, um, you know, pediatric organizations children's hospitals the Children's Hospital Association actually just had us on to do a webinar um, the level of incivility that's impacting the children's hospitals now is is really escalating and um, they're they're all seeking kind of uh, you know what, what we would be a subtle alerting system right you don't you don't want to further escalate a family or a child but this with our discrete notification, we can kind of get help Mm -hmm. to where it needs to in a quick way without that kind of always that big show of force. But, you know, the children's hospitals are, they're not alone in this, but there's, you know, kind of parental anxiety, you know, bad diagnosis and internal pressure. But the other news source is now the cyber bullying and the gender affirming uh, staff are under assault. Um, a few of, uh, A few of the children's hospitals where we've deployed recently, they they actually have like their leads of their hospitals, their ring doorbells ring to the FBI. They don't ring to their regular kind of, (laughs) you know, app on your phone. So there's you know, there's been so many serious threats um, at these gender affirming clinics that. you know, we've we've pivoted and, and we've done their their areas first in a, in a major deployment um, at the Children's Hospital. So it's something that is new. And, you know, we don't take that lightly.
0: Wow. You know, I forgot about that. Wasn't it wasn't Cincinnati or was it a threat. to Cincinnati? It was, it was
1: Bo- Boston. Boston. Yep. Boston. That was very public about theirs. And then there there have been others with some organizations not being as public, wow. um, but that I that I know, you know, have in fact happened.
0: So, so hearing that and hearing all of the other kind of, you know, I want to say minimal, but, you know, smaller incidences, mm-hmm. there seems to be, anywhere you look, American Nurses Association, the American Hospital Association, everybody's on board, all these organizations are on board, you know, kind of minimizing mm-hmm. workplace violence. So, so why do you think so little has changed? I know we're going to talk about legislation, but, but yeah why do you think I, I, just in the operation, so little has changed? Well,
1: you know, a chief nursing officer from from Denver said to me that we've normalized this so mm. much in our profession mm. that we don't think it's mm. out of the ordinary mm. and so that that was a telling statement yeah. i use that I use that a lot um yeah. but I do go back to the fact that it's state regulated um and the states have not taken the initiative—it's very hard, right? Texas is working so hard through the Texas Nurse Association to make a dramatic improvement and to make it a felony to um, attack any healthcare worker. Um, there is legislation, you know, to about striking emergency department staff um, that is a felony. But the interesting thing and the dumbest thing is, if you have a float nurse down, you know, taking care of an ICU patient in the ER, and they're the person that's attacked, they're—they're they're not. You know, considered emergency personnel. So then, that legislation doesn't provide stick to them. So it's just it's bureaucratic. I think it's un unrecognized by people who could make a difference um, and and normalize. Like it's every day. I just you know we talked a little bit before. Every day you see somebody some airline making an emergency landing because there's an unruly passenger. Um, if we if we were on the news every day for a <laughs> right, nurse, you right. know the the latest data from the last quarter of 2022 is a nurse is injured at work. Two RNs are injured at work every hour. Jesus, across, across the our country. across the country,
0: two every Denver, hour. It's
1: every thirty minutes a nurse or a healthcare worker is injured. Wow. And so if that fact was on the news every night when you turned on your local or national news, I think there would be more headlines. But for for whatever reason, it's it's not getting the level of um, media and press coverage that that it should.
0: Well, I, I know the um, American Nurses Association has a, a campaign. I, I think it's uh, and I think it's endnurseabuse.org. right so they and, and the
1: emergency department is like stay, say no to ed uh, stay don't be silent to ED violence um and and I will say you know you know here often hear people compliment the joint commission but I would like to um <laughs> because they you know in 2022 it became a mandate to have kind of a very holistic interdisciplinary um workplace violence committee, similar to, you know, other committees that have been, you know, mandated to start to, to take a good 360 view mm-hmm. at workplace violence. Um, you know, oftentimes these Solutions are addressed like maybe through just solely in this the security arm or maybe in the h r arm, and then a clinician is really wanting to be involved and it's it's so siloed that you know it it's just not a comprehensive solution and now the joint commission has made it a mandate to have this kind of you know big um holistic three sixty view of workplace violence and and hopefully looking at really. Good solutions, um, not just with technology, but with all the things that um, entail are entailed in a workplace violence
0: committee yeah because it's not i mean certainly your tool is part of the solution right part of creating a a, a more safe environment where people are going to feel like they're protected or at least um supported right that somebody's going to come when they press the the tool right
1: that's right and then we're just one you know we're just one tool in the toolbox Right. right where there has to be other things happening you know um and another thing that i've heard recently that is um it's an interesting phenomenon. You know, we used to be required to take, you know, maybe say eight hours of some type of hands-on kind of response to violent situations. So there's CPI and there's Moab and there's all these kind of contents out there. Um, But with the the level of nurse turnover Mm -hmm. and the money and the finances involved in these kind of long ongoing um, courses that require recertifications yearly and every year um, that hospitals are cutting back on those uh-huh. and really putting up like uh, so to see like behavioral SWAT teams, uh-huh. like our rapid response right. team. So right, they're, right. they're training core members instead of everyone. And so, you know, you see a little bit less, maybe less training, but more focused training. So then strong line becomes a nice complement for staff who, you know, and, and I was at AONL this year and they someone quoted at my booth and said, we are a country of new graduates. (laughs) And so when you give a new graduate this tool, right, that they are, um, you know, there's, there's definitely the disconnect and the shock between the, this, the scholarly life of a student and the real life of a new grad after orientation, um, you're giving them another tool where they can feel safe. Um, right away. um, And it's on their body always with them. And it's, it's perceived as a, as a really good complement to their other education they're getting.
0: So, so Jeannie, there's a lot of uh, folks who listen to our podcast who are not healthcare people. Mm -hmm. So I'd like Mm -hmm. to encourage them who are listening to kind of be pro, well, I guess be proactive and, and talk, talk to your legislators or, you know, what can we do to, to drum up, uh, action about this. I mean, that, that the, um, I think it's called the save act safety from violence for healthcare employee act. So that's, that's the one that's in Congress now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: just, we, we have to shine a spotlight on it, right? If, if it stays under the covers, no one knows that it's happening. And at every level, right. Of, well, this goes for everything in our country, right? If you don't get involved, nothing's going to change, right? So you have to get involved. Um, I encourage um, anybody who's a non-healthcare worker or healthcare worker. We we need to talk about this. We need to be open about it. We have to have conversation. We can't keep it, um, you know. As the as the emergency nursing side, you know, uh, campaign is don't be silent on ED violence. We have to talk about it at every opportunity, and that, that's also part of my role at Strongline is to 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 increase the public awareness not only in healthcare but the general public to, to to shine a spotlight on this.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I would certainly feel like the more we talk about it the better off we'll be and certainly social media is a way to do that as well, right? And I know you're active on social media to to bring to light some of these acts and bills that are being considered. So, uh, at the very least we could click. <laughs> or yes. or- you know, send an email to our to our Congress people. That's right. Let them know about it. Um, certainly, we're not going to solve it in this podcast, but I certainly appreciate your your input in this, and uh, I applaud your efforts uh, at doing this, Jeannie, and and getting getting tools into the right hands so that nurses feel safer. So thank you. Yeah,
1: thank you. And I, and I know the emergency nursing, and I don't mean to leverage them, but I, I I'm most familiar with their their work. Um, they just had their day on the hill where our uh, board and leadership team go to Capitol Hill and they meet with their legislators and um, they met with um, quite a few um, senators and House of Representatives who were nurses by background. Ah. And so le- leveraging, you know, their expertise, again, that kind of chameleon, right? That right. that nurse that's now dedicating his or her life to, to politics and how they can help us influence, um, you know, upcoming uh legislation is is really important too and to stay aware of of who who in your um you know political arena is going to make an impact for us for the
0: better. Yeah, I I know there's um a, an effort also on social media about more nurses in office in political office. Mm-hmm. For this mm-hmm. probably for this very reason to let to let the folks that are making decisions and policy decisions know um, yeah, we'll exactly. So. So thank you for your efforts and thank you for being a guest uh, on, on the podcast.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Anything I can do to help, you know, kind of share the, the good news about how Strongline is is keeping staff safe and increase the awareness of um, all of our staffs and hospitals. Um, lack of safety is, is really m- my pleasure to do that and just keep spreading the good news.
0: Good job. Good job. All right. Well, thank you, Jeannie. Take care.
1: All right. Have a great day.
0: If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardian nurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardian com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.